Welcome to Simplifying Remote Collaboration. In each episode, we'll discuss how the shift to hybrid working and learning has put growing pressure on IT departments to better support remote collaboration. At a time when resources are stretched thin by competing priorities, we'll explore ways to simplify the IT setup and management of hybrid spaces. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Simplifying Remote Collaboration. I'm your host for today, Ben Thomas. We've got a great conversation uh, lined up today, specifically focusing on integrating, installing, uh, inspecting some of these awesome tools that we're seeing uh, in places like higher education and learning institutions. Uh, and I've got a great panel of experts on today who individually uh, are pretty cool in their own right. But when uh, they all come together, they like to call themselves the AV Super Friends. And look, I'll co-sign for them. Uh, pretty incredible guys. We've got Chris, Mark, Justin, and Jamie. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Larry is missing. He, we kicked Larry out. Uh, he's gone. And he is. He's he's not here. Uh, so it's not quite the full complete group, I guess. We're we're close, but not quite. Uh, for the benefit of our audience who may not know uh, each one of you specifically, I figured it'd be easy just to to kick it right off to you. Uh, have you introduce yourself, first name, last name, uh, where you work, what you do. Chris, we'll have you start us off. Sure. Uh, thanks, Ben. Um, my name is Chris Dector. I'm the manager of instructional technology at University of Wyoming, a founding member of the AV Super Friends long-term uh, AV professional and general jerk to uh, anyone who asks. Um, I enjoy long walks Especially on the Larry. beach and frozen hot dog eating competitions. So there we are, something like frozen. that. There's a story oh. there. I don't know if you're going to let me uh, chase you down that rabbit hole, but uh, Mark, go ahead and, and hop in next. <laughs> Mark Kolozinski, uh, currently the Associate Director of Academic Technologies for Oregon State University, Technical Services Group, um, all things AV design, broadcast, and general problem solving, and AV mystery solver, I guess, of sorts. Um, yeah, part of the AVSF alliance here, and so uh, hopefully we'll have a good show. Looking forward to it. And then Justin. Hey, my name is Justin Rexing. I currently work at Western Kentucky University as the audiovisual design engineer. Uh, pretty much do pencil cat all day. Uh, Co-founder of the AV Super Friends and also owner of Rexing Consulting Group. And then Jamie, bring us home. I, um, I'm a nerd. <laughs> no, okay. Riveting, riveting conversation. Yes. Well, I just wanted, to, ma I wanted to make sure that we had the short and sweet answer in there first. No, so Jamie Reinhardt, I work at University of Missouri in Kansas City. I'm the AV, AV design engineer um, and jack of all trades. Uh, you, just like most of us higher ed AV nerds, um, where we also program and draw, make drawings and all the other such. I am a member of the AV Super Friends podcast group, so make sure you listen to us because we really go crazy on some of that as well. Well, look, we're not going to tone you down today, that's for sure. We've only got four of the five or the six of you now, but uh, I'll tell you what, we'll uh, we'll make up for the rest of them. So uh, we'll start here. Chris and Mark, first question to you guys. So um, you know, coming out of a post-pandemic world or coming into, I guess, a post-pandemic world, uh, the education market, specifically on the higher ed and learning side, kind of underwent this massive transformation. And now is this amalgamation of different ideas and thoughts and technologies just level set with us. Where are we in terms of the needs of digital learning today in higher education? Chris, you want to let me jump on the grenade? I agree. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll jump. You correct. Okay, go for um, it. I would say so, Ben. As far as where we are right now, I would say we're still learning. We're still figuring this out. Uh, I, I would say we're past the initial 
for lack of a better term, knee-jerk response of, oh, my God, we have to do something. Um, a lot of people went out and bought random stuff and whatever they could get and just kind of threw everything at the wall to see what would stick. Uh, others kind of built upon an existing uh, model of distance learning, distance education, and are, are you know sticking with that. The question is what worked better? And, and honestly, I think we're, we're probably all in a kind of somewhere halfway between those two. But um, I think at this point, we're past that initial uh, response and now trying to triage and determine which of the solutions do we actually select and move forward with that is both supportable, scalable, and and something that, that both the students and the instructors can actually make use of without a whole lot of, of additional work, jumping through hoops, any of that stuff. And we can make it as as simple and straightforward as possible and something that just fits right in with their existing workflow and let them focus on their teaching. I mean, they're subject matter experts in their fields, not on AV. So if they can pick it up and, and run with it, uh, even if it's a little clunky, I think that's a success. But Mark will now tell me I'm wrong. Go. You're wrong, Chris. Now, um, I awesome. think for the most part you captured, I think we talk about this a lot that we early on did this mass amount of quantitative solution, right? Let's just go out there, bite up, put it, put the stuff out there and, and see what happens. Now we're kind of pivoting into that qualitative thing. What, what works well, what doesn't work well? Um, why does this not work? Why does this work? Um, but I think primarily we're still wrestling with the, the four or five basic things, see, be seen, hear, be heard and share, right? Teaching learning spaces. How do we do all those things? Um, so what are the tools that do it in an effective way? Um, I think we made great strides with having LMSs and feeding our analog selves into these digital realms, but not everybody was prepared. Some did it better than others, and it resulted in a mixed bag of experience. So now we're kind of looking at this, this lagging data set of stuff. So what, where does it fit? Obviously, it doesn't work for everything. If we're going to offer it, where does it make sense to do it? And is there actually an opportunity to say, maybe we don't need to do it? Right. And so maybe there's some spots where we don't need to have a whole lot of technology. So I, I'm actually more fascinated in kind of the spectrum of that. Like, where do we need to have these really, really rich experiences and where can we just offer simple experiences and it, and it be just as effective? So, well, Mark, you, you bring up a great point. It's something we'll touch on a little bit later. I think historically we've seen, and this was probably a little bit more pre pandemic kind of the shoehorning of technology just for technology's sake and learning. And, and I'll kick this next question to, uh, to Justin and Jamie. You know, we talk about historically that idea of, of technology kind of being uh, almost a nice to have right now. It's moved into this, you know, a lot of times, especially for a lot of these universities that are maybe uh, commuter specific, um, where it's it's nearly essential for for the business model of the school. Right. Talk about some of the things that you're hearing from administration as far as implementing technology. Right. Is it is it you know, they're hearing demands and, and opportunities for things like hybrid learning, or is it fully online, fully remote? We talked about LMS technologies. Where's the balance there? And what are you seeing primarily demand for? So I'll, I'll go ahead and take this. Jamie, unless you, you want to start? No, nah, go ahead. This okay. is where I get to say you're, you're I agree. wrong. Sorry. So, so this is kind of where we're actually the outliers. Uh, we've had a lot of marketing and uh, messaging for in-person only, and we're trying to separate ourselves from what everybody else is doing. So kind of going back to the first question, we did kind of just throw everything at the wall, bought a bunch of cheap stuff and kind of let it sit. And now we're seeing uh, faculty and staff being very intentional on where we're deploying these technologies. And, and so what we're hearing from administration is you know, on our side is very ad hoc. Uh, for instance, sometimes in the business college, they want 
all of their classrooms to be high flex and hybrid. And yet biology and chemistry and all these others are just needing in person only. So it's very all over the board, but you know, to the point, I think we are now more intentional about which rooms we equip because we don't need every room to do everything. And that's more of a supportable mission for us. And it's obviously more affordable. What do you think, Jamie? Well, I, I t well, I, we're gonna have a lot of this. I agree. But, but I, I do have a it, back to the, the original question, you know, is, is that I feel like we were headed towards in the direction over the past decade. So on our show and, and amongst our discussions and things, we like to say, you know, the pandemic is that's over. Right. The, the response happened and it's done and really it escalated the needs for some of these other things we've seen over the last decade. The technology wasn't that it's nice to have PowerPoint. No, the digital students, the students today are digital natives and in more and more faculty are becoming that way as well. That transition was happening. Now we had in higher ed, we don't always have the young guns that are in the K-12 market where they, they came out of school, they're still young, they're eager to have tech and they just do it, right? And they find whatever ways, whether it's supportable or not. In higher ed, we still have some of the 50 year experience tenured faculty who don't really want to change their ways because they're really good at what they do the way they've been doing it. And they are. So we don't want to take that away from them. But we were headed down this path anyway. LMSs were starting to become a, a requirement for faculties prior to this. This just expediated everything. It, it made it so that it, everybody now realizes that we have to have this we live on our cell phones we live on our laptops we live on our computers that's where we live and now we're bringing education to that so i think what we're seeing now is that we we have the trepidation people that we're trying to get caught up um that's the way i see it really is that that the tech, the need for technology has been there for a long time. And we've always said, Hey, we can do this better. We can present information better. We can do things better. And now people recognize that if they invest a little bit here, we can create better and different. Jamie, that, that's a great point, especially when you start talking about people aging into the digital native realm. And I'm going to actually open this up to everybody. So I, I think it's important, as we note, obviously, as, as digital natives continue to age into the higher education uh, learning markets, uh, I think probably most, if not all of you would agree, our universities, as is, especially from an architectural standpoint, especially from an infrastructure standpoint, are largely ill-equipped to uh, have a lot of the technologies that they want, whether, that, whether that's viewing angles, whether that's audio intelligibility and being able to mic people in a room what are some of the challenges you guys are holistic, holistically saying, specifically on the integration side, uh, that people really are, are, are having a hard time figuring out right now? I think most of those challenges come from just the environmental challenges that we deal with. A lot of our colleges that, you know, Chris coming from IU and Chris been everywhere and myself being at WKU and Mark being at Oregon State, we're all dealing with old buildings and we're all dealing with old problems. And now we're trying to use these rooms for new things and it's not really meshing well. So the biggest challenge that I've seen for us is uh, the cost of creating that experience 
not just the cost of the AV equipment, but what you have to do to the room to prepare it for that AV experience. Yeah, I'll piggyback a little bit on that, Justin. I think most of our institutions have old buildings and we have new buildings. We have right. a, a just a spectrum of different types of systems out there. So how can you provide a uniform experience when you have legacy systems and you have edge cases that are, are maybe more modern? Um, but then also you may be getting these requests from different project managers that we need to do this, but there's no real definition driving the goal of why you made this assumption you need to have mics and speakers and all this stuff, but what's the goal of the space, right? Really focusing that attention back to what is the actual mission of this environment that you're actually going into and not just kind of knee jerk deploying and just putting a bunch of stuff out there because there is some dream, but really understanding like, should we even be doing that in this environment? Should I have a bunch of microphones in a giant auditorium? What's it going to sound like without spending a whole lot of money? So it's being responsible and saying, yeah, how do you carry that message message to all the people and the clients that are using these spaces? That, well, are you sure you really should be doing that in this room to begin with? And let's have more of a holistic view of like all of our environments, all of our buildings, where's the right place? Because um, it's not necessarily scalable to just have everything everywhere all the time. And so what does that mean? How do we balance that? Well, you, you bring up a good point too, and in, in kind of bringing us into the next topic. In, in some cases, professors are switching buildings all day, right? So mm -hmm that level of uniformity is, is almost essential. And, and specifically kind of talk about those teachers and professors, you know, they are a, a lot of times the primary operator of a lot of these technologies. And yes, as we mentioned, we do have some people aging into the digital native realm, but we do have tenured professors who uh, we're still getting to, to utilize projectors, right? How do you find that balance of not only consistency, predictability, uh, and even general accessibility with maybe some of that legacy mindset? Is that do you do that in the design process? Is that in the training process or uh, is it yes to everything? Uh, I think it's more in the marketing education process and kind of also in the training process. It's it's something that grows as you continue to develop these relationships at your university. Um, and and that's, just, uh, that's just something that you're always fighting. I think a lot of it comes down to to setting expectations. Um, yeah. What what can this this space do, or what can I do in this space? What can I not do in this space? Um, ben, you mentioned early on that you know previously years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, having some sort of presentation and conferencing calling technology in a space, or even just presentation technology, was a nice to have. It was not a guarantee. And now it's the expected that there will be mm -hmm. some sort of capability for that. If I go in and there's no projector in a room, I can't teach in this room sort of thing, even though I've been teaching for 40 years, um, which raises some interesting questions. But that aside, so if we try to do that approach of let's try to enable that sort of capability in every space, uh, regardless of age of building, you're going to have a wide varying uh, uh, level of experiences in there, some good, some bad. I was in a space this morning, which absolutely should not only should it not have presentation because somebody years ago stuck a projector on the ceiling and a giant screen on the wall, about, about one third of which is blocked by the lectern. It's just not set up for that. It shouldn't have any technology in it. To Mark's point, this space should be a a more informal seminar room or a conference room or something that it, it has a different purpose. We don't need to lift every space to be capable of this because now I'm going to get people. And to your point uh, who teach all over campus are like, I was just in this room across the hall. It was, it was great. I come over here and it's terrible. What's going on. It's like, I would, I don't disagree with that. I have a brand new building on campus, which has awful technology in some of the spaces because of the way the building was laid out and designed, et cetera, et cetera. So those challenges exist regardless of the age of building and regardless of the 
the the people using it, the subject matters that they're teaching, that sort of thing. It comes down to setting expectations of really what's what's capable to be done in the space rather than everything is the same. And I think that's something we're all trying to triage and determine how we best identify those, whether we have a, you know, a tier one, two, three classroom, or we identify some as Zoom enabled versus Zoom capable versus Zoom room. You know, those to me, those are very different things. So uh, I think we're all trying to work through that. There is no single answer, but it, it will be a challenge for years to come, certainly. Well, Chris, I love what you said, and Jamie, I'll kick this to you, right? And this is where you start, especially on the AV side, you start talking about uh, the AV, the installer, the integrator community having to be the expert, or in some cases, the bad guy, right? Uh, you know, you, you talk about those rooms that are poorly designed, poorly laid out. Somebody at some point said, uh, hey, we need to stick a projector in here, and here's some money for it. At, at what point do we as an AV community, as an installer community, and, and as an educator community step in and, and either provide recommendations for something else, or do we just sit there and take orders, right? I mean, it, it varies, I get it, by by seniority level, but but where do we step in, Jamie? Well, I, so there's there's two things with this. Is One, all of us come from universities that obviously employ us, right? And we we don't just live in the, uh, the specification world. We don't live in the sales world. We live in the let's enable teaching and learning, right? Um, and, and so we speak on behalf of what we're going on, but we also have to live in the world of the pedagogy and the teaching styles and all the, and the faculty, and we, we support it. Some places don't have that luxury. That, that somebody else, somewhere else, has, has decided to build a building and they've hired an architect who has a consultant who comes in. I think where we're getting at is, is, is it's also this, this strange thing where consultants and integrators, they are what used to be, as we've established, of just put in displays and stuff right. is no longer good enough. They are losing track of how instruction is happening they aren't asking those extra questions of, of what are your instructors trying to do? Let's go back to what Mark was saying, be very intentional about what we do. So when we put things in, if this is going to be a high flex and we make sure that we talk to the, the um, faculty teaching support liaisons and say, okay, well, what are you telling them to do in these classes so that we can match our technology with their teaching styles, with the person, with the LMSs, we can match all this up and, and have the most success as possible. Sometimes when it comes from the outside world, they're losing track of that now. And I'm seeing it more and more and more and more. They're like, well, here's cameras, there's 15 of them. And here's microphones and here's this. And the experience overall, yes, you met your check boxes, but did you meet the needs of the client? And I think we're starting to see that disconnect. So I, I don't wanna pile on here, but there, it's okay, it's okay to say no, right? It's okay. And I think it, it is the burden that we all have to shoulder in that we are responsible for curating that student and faculty experience. If we are part of a conversation we come into and it's not going to work correctly, we have to live with that, right? We have to support it. We have to continue on. Mm -hmm. That integrator, whoever, they're going to come, they're going to get their check, they're going to leave, and they're gone. Here we are. So it's, it's in our best interest and it's in the student's best interest and the university's best interest to make sure that premium experience, I'm not saying premium like bells, whistles and all this stuff, but 
be mindful that that teaching and learning experience needs to be the best that we can do with the resources that we have. Students are transient. They can go wherever they want to go. Why should they come here? Why should they go anywhere? And so why should they stay here? Right. They will vote with their feet and their dollars and go somewhere else. Right. And so at the end of the day, if something's presented to us and we're saying that is not going to be the experience that is acceptable for my university's brand, it is on us to voice that to the integrators. I think there was a time where integrators just assumed we were all nerds and we just wanted to do whatever the thing was. Give me a pile of technology and I'll just go Mm -hmm. out there and put it in there. And great, I got stuff and money. That's not the case anymore. We're very data driven. We understand what's the outcome. Why are we doing this? What is the actual goal for the university in this teaching and learning experience? And I think the group among us, we try to champion that, right? We want to make sure that we're being responsible with the resources and you're actually getting a premium environment that is beneficial to the students, the faculty, and the university at large. Yeah. So to Mark's point, uh, we just had a uh, project come up just recently, and this kind of fits what Mark was saying. Uh, we had a uh, student senate room, a faculty senate room, and a staff senate room. The faculty senate room was a log cabin. Everything was wood inside. The student um, senate room was really nice acoustics that already had microphones, just needed a couple cameras and some upgrades. And the staff senate room was using the board of regents and they were fighting over. So we all got together and, you know, talked about what the needs were. And everybody was in agreement that let's just upgrade one of the rooms to save money and everybody can travel on campus and walk around. And we don't have three of the exact same rooms sitting empty. Now we have one that's being used all the time. So that's kind of what we're all talking about as far as being intentional saving money and integrators aren't going to look at those things. They're just going to say, yeah, sure. We'll just throw in whatever, whatever you want. We'll throw it in. Right. And sometimes we have, so so I'll, I'll ask this then to to continue that conversation where for you, in your opinion, is the ideal point for you to be included in that conversation? Is it, is it conceptualizing? Is it purchasing decisions? Is it installation? Uh, Obviously support on the back end. Where would you say is the ideal place to jump in? Before and at the very beginning. Yes. As soon as the idea happens. We got to go around the room, Chris. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, Before an architect gets there. Absolutely. I mean, when, when there's an initial uh, conversation about something and that's, that's my favorite projects when a department says, Hey, we want to do something in this space. We're kind of thinking about that and we can, we can back them off from the, I want to buy widget ABC, but we need to figure out a solution for this and we can talk through it from an initial high level oftentimes, and I think we all have this frustration, we get in on a project, hey, we're in, we're in, you know, SD or DD, you know, it's late, we're in, we're in 50% CDs. It's too late for me to actually fix this stuff. I mean, I'm still retrofitting a brand new $60 million building with stuff that was never, you know, conceived of, but um, it's a challenge because then we have to backfill those conversations. And it's far more expensive to do that, that late in a project. So the earlier, the better. And I think you make everybody mad because now you're delaying everything. Yeah, I want to be saving time. Yeah, that too. well, they don't see it that way. They just see short term, right? I want to be involved at the, at the layer where the definition of success is being created. We will be successful in making this space if we do what? Right? I want to be right there because it's the idea. Yeah, it's the idea set. And if you bring me in, oh, here's here's what we're gonna do, and here's the things we're buying. That's way too late. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's not so, gonna so, work. So let's let's talk about success, right? You, you brought up success. And as the, the AV and technical side, right, we typically, whether it's whether it's good or not, we typically shoulder the burden of success because maybe people don't end up using technology because it's hard to use. They don't feel trained on it. They don't feel equipped. What are the, the typical metrics or even, you know, the long-term metrics 
that you guys typically are seeing as what you would call quote unquote successful projects? The, you want like numbers? No. But what are five million? Right? Is is it is it go ahead. So to, to me, I'm looking at success, it's low friction communication, mm-hmm. bi-directional, right? Easy to use, low friction, not breaking down a lot. So now we're going to start talking about ticketing, support, things like that. On in, I was going to say tickets, you, yeah. Yeah, intuitive, right? And so are you working with faculty? Do they, do they understand what intuitive means? Do you have an mm-hmm. agreement that one button, two button, how many button presses does, does it take for me to have presentation success in a room? Mm-hmm. Simplification. Right. Um, so we, we own these. We talk a lot about standards, right? Our standards are kind of the, the culmination for each of our cultures around what we think has been historically a successful solution. Right. Um, I think we would all agree easy to use, uh, appropriate for the space. Right. It's not overbuilt, underbuilt, doesn't do what it's going to do. But what are they trying to do? You know, they want to have quality visualization in the space. They want to have uniform audio coverage in a space. Um, they want to have access to a high bandwidth network. And then, and then notice I didn't say it have to be able to do Zoom and Teams in every single environment. What's the core? What's the core mission of that class? And I think somewhere down the road, we're, we're also going into the attributes of a space, right? And I'm like, I, I want my attributes to not be a list of the stuff. I want my attributes of a space to say, what are the things this space is good at? I will know I'm successful if you can do these things well. So at, when I said that experience, let's define that experience. Can I do it? Yes or no? Binary, right? Jamie, it looks like you're cooking on something. What you got? Well, I'm cooking on many things, but he's always cooking on something. Oh, I'm usually hot to trot. <laughs> now, I, I, I agree with Mark, and a lot of us do. It's too many times. Again, we're spoiled. The people you have on this call are spoiled. Uh, the, our universities have us. So we also have to think about those that are not us. I mean, we're there helping make these decisions. We're there to say no. We're there to make sure that when we talk to an instructor and they say, oh, well, this works just like the one over there in the other building. Yes, because we strive to make sure that they all are similar enough that anybody that can use one can use all. Now, there's varying levels of all, right? But we strive to do that. For those of you that are listening to this and don't don't have an AV designer on your staff and don't have a whole design AV staff and and maybe you do get the low bid integrator of the week because they're out there right you're out there up front when you know that these things are being installed and when you get your staff's training your IT because you always have some boots on the ground whether it's a student crew or not that you have something to say about that. You say, no, you're all of you. I don't care if it's integrator A or B or Z, you're all going to fit these things. We want a push button panel that has six buttons and a volume control. I don't care what company it comes from. When I hit on, it turns on, all of it turns on and have that repeated expectation, have a document drawn up so that you have a repeatable expectation. Now you've at least taken that barrier out of it of, well, that one's black and this one's blue and that one's green and this one you can do anything and everything to everywhere, which is always a mistake. Um, and we can take those away. So that's where some of that success comes in is, is we want our instructors to teach. We don't want them to troubleshoot. 
a projector. Yeah, if you can standardize on the experience and standardize on the way you set expectations, the communication channels will greatly improve. To, to add on to you, Jamie, while we want instructors to teach, we want students to learn, right? And so any, we can't create barriers. We can't do academic harm with what we're providing. We want to make sure that, that, that we are serving the students, that they're true customers and clients of our universities. And so anything we do that slows down that process is, is not in our best interest. Well, look, gentlemen, that, that's about a great place to land the plane. Before we fully wrap up, though, wanted to uh, kind of give you a chance to maybe speak directly and maybe give a piece of advice to either universities that, that maybe don't quite have the teams uh, that are as supportive as you guys have, uh, but also maybe to that, that person who's relatively new in the role, right, who doesn't yet feel empowered. Uh, you know, what would one piece of advice be uh, to that person? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Uh, pin two is hot. Yeah. <laughs> VGA sunrise. Um, I mean, the main thing is to figure out what the end goal is first. What are you, what, what is it that you're setting out to do? And then kind of backtrack. Everybody's got their own process and I'm, I'm sure people disagree with me, but that's kind of how I think. I disagree. Is, see, there you go. Think about what the end result's going to be. And then you pave the road to get there. That's the f step one. I, and I, I do think that whether you've been in the role for a year or 10 years and you're just now getting around to this, work with your faculty support, work with mm -hmm. student groups, go meet with them, meet with the administration and set that baseline. Right now, set it. I mean, so what? You might have to go back to all the things that have happened over the last 40 years. Great. Okay. At least set the baseline now. And from this day forward, our decisions will be based around enabling proper teaching and learning. Whatever that means for your your location and for whether you're an I, you're the network guy that just got hammered with AV or you're the desktop support person that got hammered with AV or you don't even have AV. You're just the guy that has to call the integrator when it breaks. Work with all of those people and create that baseline. I would say focus on the things you have control over. And a lot of our organizations have us because we're here to support and make that very intentional in your deliverable. Must work within my support culture. All systems, anything provided, know your team, know what they can and cannot do, and understand what you're taking delivery of and that your people can support that. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to take delivery of something that your team cannot support. Uh, you want to reduce that downtime and, and make your support a crucial part of your design process. And the, the one thing I would add is that, especially speaking to the people who are maybe new to the role or they don't have the support structure with the, the support staff, maybe they're a smaller school or they're at a, a small college as part of a larger university, my advice or my comment would be, you're not alone. There's a lot of resources out there you can find. Um, heck, start with avsuperfriends.com. We'll get you started. Us. But, yeah. um, you know, there's all these sorts of organizations out there, you know, Avixa and Hetma and, uh, you know, any number of them. Start building that network. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. who have the same questions. I was commenting to someone the other day that I saw people on a, on a listserv making the exact same mistake that I made 10 years ago. I'm like, this is going to bite them, but sometimes they have to do it to, to, to learn that lesson, but I'm happy to share 
you know, my experiences. It's not to say that we have all the answers and we know exactly what we're doing. You know, I'm going to go screw up something tomorrow. It's going to happen, but we'll learn from that and build upon it. But mm -hmm. there is a large community. There's a very uh, active and vocal um, higher ed college and university specific group about, you know, IT and AV technologists, e-learning. There's a lot of resources out there. So definitely start looking around. Um, we can certainly help you get started, but there's a lot of places you can go for for help and advice on things. And and what's nice about our communities is that we're not selling things and we're not competing with each other. Yeah, good point. So there is zero reason that we don't share. Yeah, we sh we share a lot of information. Sometimes and, too much. Yeah, too much information. Too and much that, information. The market and industry is acknowledging it. That our vertical is is real, and I think there's a voice. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you are Very active part of it. Yeah, so <laughs> we're here for you. Everybody is so. Well, look, Mark, Chris, Jamie, and Justin, and definitely not Larry. Uh, not Larry. We can't think <laughs> Larry stood uh, us up. We're gonna we're gonna have to find a way to get him back on another show one yeah. of these days. But look, poor guy's actually doing his support role, and we're gonna hammer him for it. Exactly, hundred percent, hundred percent. We just make podcasts. That's all we do as a Navy community. But look, I, I'm I'm very appreciative of the time that you you guys gave today. And and look, the education market we, we kind of teased about it at the end. The education and technology markets are uh, markets that are very serious, very intentional. And, and now we're seeing entire departments, entire organizations dedicated to the success uh, of education technology rollouts. Really, I, I can't think of a better organization right now than AV Super Friends uh, doing the work that you guys are doing to help out the community, help out newcomers. And I appreciate you guys uh, coming on the show today. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.